following programme contains truth, half-truth and nothing like the truth. This fictional comedy is based on highly unlikely apocryphal rock and roll tales and any resemblance to actual events is purely coincidental. For silly rights reasons, we've had to take all of the original tracks by the band out of this podcast. Hello and welcome to Rock and Ori. Rock and roll stories for people who don't have or need a bedtime. This is Taking Libertines Chapter 1. Once upon a time, there was a man called Pete Doherty. Except there wasn't. Or rather, there sort of was, but maybe not really. Actually, this week's story is quite a complicated one. You might need a bit of help from your parents. I'll start again. Once upon a time, there was a group called the KLF. The KLF consisted of a man called Bill Drummond and a man called Jimmy Corty. And in the early 90s, they became famous for two things. Catchy acid house anthems and playing pranks. Pranks like firing machine guns at a Brit Awards audience, dumping a dismembered sheep outside a Brit Awards after party, and burying a Brit Awards statuette in a field near Stonehenge. Oh, and then deleting all their catchy acid house anthems and quitting the music business. Yes, the KLF had been quite lively fellows back then, but at a party in London in the early 2000s, Bill was having a few regrets. I just wonder if we should have done more with our talents, you know. Oh, this again. Jimmy, what if we're more famous for our cheeky pranks than for our catchy 90s anthem? Fine by me. We had talent and we became famous. Nowadays, our celebrity-obsessed tabloid culture could make literally anyone quite colossally famous. How do you mean? I mean, we get ourselves a patsy and... Wait, a what? Can we get a bit of exposition here? To, to set this out clearly, it's, it's quite an odd conceit for a fictional narrated story on the radio. Sure, I mean, like a patsy, you know, a stooge, like a lovable buffoon who we can take in and mould exactly how we want to. Let me just look it up in my dictionary. Yes, there we go, Patsy, a person who is taken advantage of by others. Okay, I, I think the listeners get it now. Marvellous. Hold on a minute, you're not thinking of starting another cheeky wee prank now, are I you? I might be. Are you in, Bill? <sighs> yes, all right. Do you know any lovable buffoons? Uh, no. No, me neither. Oh, well, forget it then. I'm going back to the buffet. The smoked trout is excellent. Since lovable buffoons were incredibly rare in London back in 2001, it looked like the KLF's new prank might fall at the very first hurdle. How lucky it was, therefore, that later on that night the pair happened to spot a fellow guest, a pale, wiry man in a jaunty hat, trying to haggle over a taxi fare with his own reflection in a car window. No one seemed to know his name, but the party's host recalled him saying he had to get back to a holiday camp in Devon where he was working as a Buddy Holly impersonator. I did warn you that this was a complicated story. Anyway, a few days later, Bill and Jimmy drove from London to Budley Salterton, stopping off at Stonehenge to check that their Brit Award was still buried in that field. It was. And the pair arrived at the holiday camp late in the afternoon. Welcome to generically titled holiday camp so the producers don't get sued. Would you like two separate chalets or are you sharing? Neither. We're not staying. We're the KLF. What? Both of you? Yes. We're looking for a Buddy Holly impersonator who we think might be a lovable buffoon. Oh, that'll be Trevor. He's just come off stage. Trevor! Why do you want to see him? We're planning an elaborate prank to expose the frailties of the tabloid zeitgeist slash its fixation with the super... Trevor! Never mind. Well, These men want to know if you're a lovable buffoon. That's right, Trevor. We're the KLF. 
How are you spelling that? Marvellous. Would you like to come with us? Oh, okay. Should I bring my guitar? That depends. How many chords do you know? What's the chord? Oh, he's perfect, Jimmy. The KLF had found their patsy, Trevor McDermott, stalwart of the 4.30 in the afternoon slot on the Southwest Family Entertainment circuit. Now they just had to turn him into something called Pete Doherty, the next big thing in British music. And we'll be finding out how they got on with this epic endeavour in tomorrow's episode of Rockinori. Hello, and welcome to Rockinori, rock and roll stories for people who don't have or need a bedtime. This is Taking Libertines, Chapter 2. There was once a pair of mischievous scamps called Bill Drummond and Jimmy Corty. They'd formed an innovative group called the KLF, innovative both for its high-octane electronica remixes and its subversive pranks designed to cock a snook at the music industry. Since the KLF had snooked off into the sunset in 1992, Bill and Jimmy had been relatively quiet. But in 2001, with a whole new millennium ahead of them, they had their pranking eyes fixed firmly on Britain's celebrity-obsessed tabloid culture. Their plan was to turn someone, anyone, into the hottest property on the indie scene, and they'd found a suitable stooge in the form of Trevor McDermott, a part-time Buddy Holly impersonator at a Devon holiday camp. Bill and Jimmy brought him back to their project headquarters in London. Right, Trevor, listen carefully. Your name is now Pete Doherty. You got that? Sorry, do you mean me? Yes, you. You're Pete. You need to forget the name Trevor and remember the name Pete. Who? Jesus Christ. Jimmy, are we sure this guy isn't too much of a lovable buffoon? Let me try. Pete, we're here to help you, yes? You just let us organise everything and we promise you'll become a really big star. Oh, like Buddy Holly? Exactly. But without the plane crash. Although we're not ruling anything out just yet. Aye, fair enough. Plane crash. Question mark. That night, Bill came across a bunch of session musicians rummaging through his bins, so he hired them and formed the Libertines. Their fake star now had a fake band, so the next step was to generate some buzz in the trendier corners of the music industry. This turned out to be surprisingly easy. New Musical Express? There's an explosive new alternative band called The Libertines. Really? Wow. Yes, they've been doing some incredibly explosive alternative gigs. Oh, wow. And their explosive lead singer is called Pete Doherty, and he's the next big alternative thing. Wow, oh my God, oh, just wow. Yes, so just write about that, will you, you overexcited toddler? Okay. Within hours, music journalists as far away as Shoreditch were claiming to have been at several highly explosive yet highly fictional gigs by a highly explosive yet highly fictional band. So far, so good for the KLF, but now Jimmy and Bill needed to up the ante and reel in the tabloids. It was time to fake a scandal. Good news, Pete. Your gigs are the talk of the town. I don't remember doing any gigs. Yes, that's because... Oh, forget it. Here's what we do next. You've got a band, mate, called... Carl Barat. Have I? Yes, you have. I found him with his head stuck in an old takeaway container. We're going to tell people you robbed Carl's flat to pay for your drug habit. Now, obviously you don't actually need to do anything, Pete. I have a drug habit. Yes, that's what we'll be telling everyone. No, I really do. In real life. Ah. Ah, indeed. 
It seemed that Trevor McDermott had started to really explore the character of Pete Doherty, and he'd been doing this by exploring vast quantities of drugs. And in tomorrow's episode of Rockanori, we'll be finding out if this had a positive or negative effect on his subsequent behaviour. Join us for Chapter 3 of Taking Libertines. Hello and welcome to Rockanori. Rock and roll stories for people who don't have or need a bedtime. This is Taking Libertines Chapter 3. This week I've been telling you a complicated story about Bill Drummond and Jimmy Corti of the KLF and their fondness for cheeky pranks and japes of all kinds. In the early 2000s, the pair decided to tease both the alternative music scene and the tabloids' obsession with celebrity by creating a star out of literally anyone. The literally anyone in question, Trevor McDermott, an ex-Buddy Holly impersonator from Devon, was transformed into Peter Pete Doherty, and fake reports of fake barnstorming gigs with his fake band The Libertines spread like wildfire. Bill and Jimmy then planned to start a rumour that Pete had broken into his bandmate Carl Barat's flat to steal things in order to fund his drugs habit. But it turned out that Trevor had gone a bit method with the character of Pete and was now spending a lot of money on drugs in real life. Still, the confused young man had enjoyed hearing about that fictional breaking. It seemed like a great idea. In fact, it seemed like such a great idea. He actually did it. With Pete's pasty face splashed across all the papers, the KLF scheme seemed to be going perfectly. But then Kate Moss turned up. Hello. Now, Pete and this catnip-to-the-papers fashionista got on famously. The pair could often be spotted taking slow, meandering walks around central London and trading witticisms like a modern-day Cary Grant and Catherine Hepburn. This hadn't been part of Bill and Jimmy's plan for Pete at all, but being known as Kate Moss's boyfriend suddenly catapulted their calamitous creation into the celebrity stratosphere with devastating consequences. I'm quitting the Libertines! I know you're bloody not. You can't quit a band that doesn't exist. I can I'm going to start a real band called Baby Shambles and do real music. Oh, is that right? Yes. Kate Moss says that I'm a huge star. We made you a huge star, you wee sap. And the thing is, uh, Pete, uh, Trevor, we've still got one part of our scheme left. We need you and the Libertines to record some noise to see if it wins a Brit Award. And if you quit now, Trevor, we'll tell the whole music industry that you're... A buffoon. I'm not a balloon. You are. I'll be on the front cover of the NME. How are you spelling that? But Pete did quit. And with that, the KLF's prank came to a sudden and premature end. The first Baby Shambles album did not win a Brit Award, but as a consolation, it was awarded 7 out of 10 in the NME. And music journalists started to reassess the Libertines' back catalogue, which the KLF had forgotten to delete. In 2005, Pete Doherty duetted with Elton John at Live 8 a performance that raised further questions about him and set back the fight against world poverty by about 20 years. Then in early 2006, Bill and Jimmy decided to reveal all at a press conference. Ladies and gentlemen, Pete Doherty is a fake. <gasps> That's right, it was us all yeah. along. We KLFing well fooled all of you. <laughs> a naughty balloon. So, there you are. End of story. The industrious duo had pulled the wool over people's eyes like they were dismembering a sheep for a Brit Awards after-party. Except, was any of it actually true? Would the pair's remarkable tale stand up to scrutiny, or would it collapse in a heap like a cabin at a non-specific Devon holiday camp? Well, if you want to find out, 
you'll have to come back tomorrow for the final part of this week's Rock and Ori. Don't call me a balloon! Hello and welcome to Rock and Ori. Rock and roll stories for people who don't have or need a bedtime. This is Taking Libertines Chapter 4. So far, you've heard an incredibly complicated story about one of the greatest musical hoaxes of all time, perpetrated by Bill Drummond and Jimmy Corti of the KLF. You've heard how they took a Buddy Holly impersonator called Trevor McDermott and turned him into a phenomenon called Pete Doherty, thanks to a fake band called the Libertines. You've also heard how fake drug-related tabloid scandals became real drug-related tabloid scandals, how Kate Moss blundered into the story and made Pete go rogue, resulting in the tragic birth of Baby Shambles, and how Bill and Jimmy held a press conference in early 2006 to announce that they had masterminded the whole thing. However, even though you have indeed heard all of this, was all of it true? Was any of it true? Question for Mr Corti. Where did you meet this Trevor McDermott? At a party here in London. Rather a good one, as I recall. There was smoked trout. Even though at the time he was working as a Buddy Holly impersonator at... Uh... Generically titled holiday cap so the producers don't get sued. Yeah, I'm sorry. Generically yes. titled... So what was Mr McDermott doing in London? You'd have to ask him that. Although, seeing as he's a buffoon, he probably won't know. The next day, several music industry professionals came forward to say that those fictional Explosive Libertines gigs had actually been factual Explosive Libertines gigs and that they were prepared to testify in court as to both their factuality and explosivity. This was significant because music industry professionals were known for their strict adherence to telling the truth. A rumour surfaced. A rumour that the KLF's assertion that it had all been a hoax was in itself a hoax, a hoax also perpetrated by the KLF. Another rumour, contrary to previous rumour, suggested that Bill and Jimmy were locked in a legal battle with Trevor slash Pete over the veracity of the story. Trevor slash Pete maintained that he was in fact Pete, not Trevor, that he had never met the KLF and that he'd never been to Devon. Unfortunately for him, an all-new rumour then emerged, hinting that the KLF were in possession of a videotape showing a younger Trevor slash Pete in a natty 1950s suit and horn-rimmed glasses, standing by a swimming pool and baby shambling his way through Peggy Sue. And if we freeze it at 1 minute 16, Malay, you can clearly see that it is Trevor McDermott, a.k.a. Pete Doherty, at the holiday camp. And you can clearly see in here that he's just some bloke. Mm, yes, so it seems. But can either of you prove you went to this holiday camp to meet Mr McDermott? Oh, yes, uh, we stopped at Stonehenge on the way. Why? To see if our 1992 Brit Award was still buried there. Did you dig it up? No, my lord. Then you have no proof. By the way, what does KLF stand for? In a couple of interviews, we've said it stands for Copyright Liberation Front, my lad. Copyright with a K? That's right. It most certainly is not. Get out of my courtroom! It was the end of the road for the Hawks. Perhaps the videotape was genuine. Perhaps not. Perhaps it never existed in the first place. Perhaps the rumour of a legal battle between the three musical mavericks was the real Hawks in all of this. And none of what you've heard up to now actually happened. Perhaps I'm not really Sean Keaveney. Perhaps I'm a creation of Bill Drummond and Jimmy Corti and the whole of this week's Rock and Ori has been another hoax perpetrated by the KLF. Or perhaps I'm the narrator and he's actually Pete Doherty. I'm not. Perhaps not. But you are a hoax, right? No, I'm not a hoax. And neither is Pete Doherty, I think. You see the problem? Nobody's ever going to get this mess sorted out. And by this mess, I mean Pete Doherty. Or, or maybe I don't, because he's clean now. He lives in France. 
To be honest, I'm not, I'm not sure about anything anymore. Until next time on Rockanori. Rockanori was written by John Holmes and Gareth Keredig. The narrator was Sean Keevney, with the voices of Alistair Beckett-King, Naomi MacDonald and Jake Yap. Original music by Jake Yap, technicals by Tony Chernside. It was produced and directed by John Holmes and was an unusual production for Absolute Radio, supported by the Audio Content Fund. Yeah.